0: This week at church, we're joined by Mike J. Cox. trying to tell us that you have a purpose beyond what you're doing. Right? So some of us, maybe it's not the sin of disobedience, it's the sin of lack of obedience. Where we know we're supposed to be doing something, we're not doing You can join us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for free coffee, free baked goods, a worship service, and a sermon to follow. The church is located by the Coventry Mall on Laura Wood Road. So we're going to be speaking from Revelation. You can open up the Bible to Revelation chapter 3. So we all like people who work hard, especially success stories. We we like people who are passionate about their jobs. I know I pretty much say this every time I talk. I love football, but my favorite thing is to watch a player that understands the game and is passionate about it and has fun. So I got a couple stories of some people who are really successful but continue to work hard. Jerry Rice, who has been argued to be one of the greatest football players ever, in the off season had a six day a week program. In the morning, he'd go on a five mile run up hills. And I've seen this on a video once. It wasn't a hill, it was a mountain. And that would be followed by his afternoon program of lifting weights. It was said that teammates would try to come and work out with him, usually ended up sick by about halfway through. Uh, Starbucks CEO, Howard Schultz, even though he's the CEO of a successful uh, company, puts in 13 hours days spending some of his weekend time reading thousands of emails from his employees and spending the middle of the nights talking to overseas employees um, to, to get their insights. Baseball pitcher Roy Halliday. He would show up 90 minutes before any of his teammates on game day and work out. He actually had to get a personal entrance card to get into the stadium from his teams to be able to do this. And again, when other teammates would come try to join him, they usually quit about halfway through. GE CEO Jeffrey Amelt, was reported to work 100 hour work weeks for 24 years. Yahoo CEO Marissa Mayer, when she was working at Google, would put in 130 hours a week by sleeping under her desk and being strategic about her showers. Basketball player Kobe Bryant, in order to keep playing with broken fingers and dislocated thumbs, changed to jump shot so we continue to play in the game. We love. Our athletes and our singers and our celebrities and even just stories of people who not only made it to success through hard work but continue to give that hard work even when they were already successful okay it's a step I always tell my students that's the step from good to great is that once you get good you continue to work well God wants the same thing from us he wants us to work for him just like those people work for their professions so we're gonna look at Revelation today now Revelation is a hard book The good thing, though, is the first few chapters is a little easier to understand. A little harder to take sometimes, but a little easier to understand. In those first three chapters, we basically get some practical examples of some churches, most of which started off very good, but fell into some things. And we'll look specifically at Laodicea. So a little background about Laodicea. It was located where two rivers met into the Lycus River. And by the time Rome had kind of conquered that area in Asia Minor, it was one of the wealthiest cities. Um, it was an important trade route. They were known for black wool, and they were very self-sufficient. They were so wealthy that even when it was destroyed by an earthquake in 60 AD, they refused any help from Rome and actually rebuilt the entire city itself with the, own, with, uh, the money they had and the resources they had. And this is the church or the city that this church, Laodicea, in Chapter 3, um, was located. And they were a product of that wealth as well. They had quite a bit of wealth. Um, It's the last church that is written to in the book of Revelation, and it's kind of an interesting church. So we're going to start off in verse 15, and this is kind of what Jesus is speaking to this church. So he had a message for each church, and here's what he says to the church of Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Some interesting things about this rebuke is, first off, it's the only church that doesn't have a positive listed. The previous six churches all had something positive said about it, whether they were very serving or whether they used, gave of their nothing, whether they were very uh, persistent in keeping Jesus' name. This church, Jesus actually goes right into the rebuke. What does that mean? Well, it means that he felt so strongly about where this church had gone that he couldn't even find anything to say. Well, he could find, but he couldn't say anything good about it because it was so bad at this point to be lukewarm. So what does it mean to be lukewarm? Well, if you have a drink, lukewarm means that it should be hot, but it's probably only moderately hot, or usually we say room temperature. They give you the word tepid, which we don't usually use much. If it's a person, it's said to be very unenthusiastic. So a lukewarm person usually is that wishy-washy. Uh, We don't like our politicians to be lukewarm about anything. We want them to have one side or the other. Uh, So you're kind of in the middle. So what are the dangers of being lukewarm? So I'm going to start with your notes. Uh, It doesn't really sound like that bad of a thing, but again, Jesus thought this was a huge problem. He went right into the rebuke. The first one is that the lukewarm Christian is comfortable. So now you're going, wait a minute here. uh, Isn't being comfortable a good thing? Not really. Not always. When you get so comfortable that you're happy with what you have, that you're just content to be where you are and not grow, especially as a Christian, if we were supposed to stay where we are, we'd already be in heaven. But it didn't end at salvation. It started at salvation. He's calling us to keep growing. Well, this church had stopped growing. They had become very comfortable in everything they had. Depending on their wealth, and their worldly comforts instead of God. And that's what became the big challenge for the church at Laodicea. They were so happy with what they had, they basically thought that they had everything they need and God was no longer necessary. They were comfortable. Jesus gave us an example of how this can be bad too in the rich young ruler. Okay, many of you probably heard the story of the rich young ruler. So a rich man comes one day to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, how do I get to heaven? Well, Jesus first tells him, well, you must must keep all the commandments. Now, here's the first amazing part. He goes, well, I've kept all those. To me, that's a question mark right there. Because I can tell you right now, I have not kept all the commandments all my life. And I doubt anyone in this room has. So he was apparently the most amazing religious Jew that ever lived. But Jesus says, okay, you've kept all the commandments. And the man responds and says, so now what do I do? Probably thinking Jesus didn't have an answer. Like, hey, you're assured. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, He says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. So he comes here to Jesus saying, well, how do I get to heaven? Knowing, or in his heart, thinking, hey, I've done everything. I should be good. And that's what he wanted to hear. This was a rhetorical question to this guy. He wanted to hear, you you know, you're a good and faithful servant. You've done everything. And instead, Jesus gives him another answer. Well, why does Jesus respond to this? Because he knew that the man had valued his possessions more than God. And that's why he walked away. When we become comfortable, we'll still ask Jesus questions, and we'll still ask God questions, but then when he answers, we don't want to hear the answer. Because we're in our comfort zone, and that answer might make us uncomfortable. We don't want that. We compare this man to the sinful woman of Luke 7. So Jesus is at a Pharisee's table, and he's eating with this Pharisee. And this woman comes, who has been known to be very sinful. And she kneels down at Jesus' feet. She begins to cry at his feet. And when her tears make his feet wet, she wipes them with her hair clean. And Jesus says that you know, this woman loves much because she was forgiven much. The difference between her and the young man was she knew she was a sinner. She was uncomfortable with her life. And because of that, Jesus was able to move in her life. And she would be able to move on she was really really cold and she needed to be heated up and she knew that and jesus was able to do something one of the commentaries i read was by a person named david gudzik and he says the lukewarm christian has enough of jesus to satisfy a craving for religion but not enough for eternal life we give our wealth we come might come to church regularly we might attend social gatherings come to everything that's at the church but we don't hand our lives fully over to Him. We're in our comfort zone. We feel good about what we do, and we're forgetting about what God really wants us to get to. The second point, and I really tried to make this nice, but it just came out this way. The lukewarm Christian is sickening to God. So I know some of you might know how to walk out, and I'm like, what is this guy talking about? I really look for words to make this nicer. Unfortunately, it doesn't come out that way. In fact, when he says in verse 16, I will spit you out of my mouth, The Greek there is the word emeo. Emeo is actually a word that literally translates to vomit or throw up. So what he's saying is that the lukewarm Christian, the life that is being lived, makes him sick. Well, it's easy to see how, you know, if someone's very sinful, when you're living a very sinful life, you're like, yes, that's unpleasing to God. God is obviously not going to be happy with that. But sometimes we get into a rut. And we're kind of just going through the motions but we're doing good things, and we're ignoring the bad things we do, I mean, we don't realize how sickening that is to God. Yeah, it turns our stomach. Okay, I, for example, nobody really wants a lukewarm drink. Okay, that can make your stomach turn a little bit. You, know, you might want a hot coffee. You may want an ice-cold soda. But if I, I turned around and said, here, have some of that Kool-Aid that's been sitting on my counter this week, you'd probably look at me funny. Like, well, I don't want that. No one likes that, and when... Our lives become lukewarm. Our lives become that same way to God. He looks at us like that Kool-Aid that's sitting on the counter. Like, no, I want the ice-cold soda that's in your fridge. That's where I want you to be. Or I want the nice hot coffee, which is more what I prefer. When we are cold, again, I kind of go back to when we, live our, when we are lukewarm, we kind of get comfortable. We don't realize. What happens is... Jesus actually says, I prefer you be cold over being lukewarm, which sounds really ironic because obviously the number one answer he wants is he wants us hot for him. He wants us on fire for him. So why would he prefer me to be cold over lukewarm? At least I'm halfway there, right? But when we're cold, we tend to realize that we need God. We tend to realize that something's wrong. We need it fixed, and we can't fix it ourselves. And that's an opportunity for God. Jesus saw this as an opportunity. Like, hey, I can show you that you need to be heated up versus the lukewarm Christian who thinks that everything's good. I'm lukewarm. I'm good. I'm doing some things. I'm going to church. I'm in the meetings. I'm going to the events. Ignore this sin on the side, though, when I walk out the door. Third way, uh, third danger of being lukewarm is that the lukewarm Christian is blind to their own condition. In verse 17, Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, he says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What a list. But we're not that bad, are we? I mean, we go to church. We help out. We give some of our money. But we ignore everything else in our lives, the dangers in our lives, the sin in our lives. Or we ignore the fact that maybe God is trying to tell us that You have a a purpose beyond what you're doing. So some of us, maybe it's not the sin of disobedience. It's the sin of lack of obedience. Where we know we're supposed to be doing something, we're not doing it. Either way, we're not looking at ourselves the same way as we look at others. I think of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. In uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, the Pharisee comes up and he's going to pray to God, and then there's a tax collector a little bit closer by at the temple, and he's going to pray to God. And here's what the Pharisee says in verse 11. He goes, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. He's lukewarm. He's following the rituals. He's following the procedures. He's earning his way, and he doesn't see everything else in his life that maybe that income wasn't, was, getting, was received because of abusing other people. That happened all the time. But then there's a the tax collector on the, on the side. And then he prays. And in verse 13, he's on his knees. He's beating his chest in a sign of remorse. And he says, I, sorry, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. That's why when Jesus says, I prefer you to be cold, versus lukewarm because when we're comfortable and we're lukewarm we don't see our own condition. Whereas when we're cold we know it. When you're out in the winter cold you know you need a jacket. But sometimes when you're sick and you don't feel that cold you never have a fever and you can go out and you don't realize how cold you are. That's how you are when you're lukewarm. You don't realize how cold you are and you don't know you need that help. The funny thing is if you saw somebody else out in the cold without a jacket that day, you'd be like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Where's your winter jacket? We see everybody else's sin, but we don't see our own. Right? We, see, we have to take the plank out of our own eye, take the toothpick out of someone else's, but we don't see that plank. We come blind to our own condition. One of the signs of being lukewarm, if, you're, if you wake up and most of your day you're realizing that, hey, you're noticing everybody else's faults and noticing how much better you are than everybody else, chances are you're lukewarm. You're looking to cover up what you know is there, but you're trying to cover it up by saying, hey, I'm okay because I don't do this, 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 and this. Lastly, a lukewarm Christian turns others away from Christ. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people representing the Christian faith that are actually turning others away from Christianity. And they may not be even true Christians, but some of them maybe are saved, they're just lukewarm. How many times, Have we walked out hearing that Christians are hypocrites? Is there some truth to this? Our lukewarmness allows us to call ourselves Christians, yet act in ways that do not reflect Christ. And then others see this, and and they call it hypocrisy. Now, we all fall short. That happens. And when we fall short, the biggest key is forgiveness. Asking for it from God, and not be afraid to ask for it from others. Because even when we fall short, when we ask for forgiveness, People will see that we're just human and not hypocrites. But when you're lukewarm, you don't want to see that. How many times have people said how boring it is to be a Christian? Is that in our demeanor? Do you walk around looking like you're carrying a weight around on your shoulders? Well, I have to go to church today. I have to do this today. I have to, no, no, I can't do that. I have to go pray today. Is that really what people want to hear? If I were, you know, when I was young, that is part of the reason I left the church. Those, those two reasons. Number one, I got tired of walking into a building seeing people say all these things and then walking out and everything was the same. Still listened to music that was cursing and talking about drugs and sex. People, uh, even on the way out of the parking lot, would you know, be yelling and cursing at each other for making mistakes in the parking lot. And then the second one was, everybody looked upset. When everybody's at church, it was just so sad. Like People were just there and it was, just, it was a burden. But it wasn't supposed to be like that. Here's what Paul says in Philippians. Now in Philippians, Paul is writing this when he is in prison. Probably chained up to another guard. Probably been there for a while. He had been in prison how many times? And here's what he says in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 of Philippians. But I will rejoice, even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy." Could you imagine being locked up in prison just for sharing the Word of God and actually saying that? I don't know, that's difficult, I'll admit. That's a tough thing to do. I mean, I find days where I have a hard time smiling. In my life, I wasn't, I'm not in prison. You know, I'm not dying at this point uh, that I know of. Right? But he, he was. He was at the end of his life, and he's full of joy. Do we walk around projecting that? If that's a danger. When we're lukewarm, we walk around like everything is a burden. Where's the joy in our Christian life? So how do we heat it up? So maybe some of us are lukewarm. You know, I started this week, I thought, oh God, this is, this is a tough one. I felt like I was struggling with this. And here's what he says. How do we heat up our life? Number one, by our needs from God. Buy our needs from God. Here's what Jesus says to the Church of Laodicea in verse 18. He said, "So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness, and ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see." So here's the Church of Laodicea. They think they have everything. They think they got it all made. You know that we built our city. We have it all. We're the center of trade in Rome. And here's what Jesus is saying. You don't know anything until you buy from me. What are we buying? What does he say for them to buy? Number one, gold, refined by fire. So the church of Laodicea had all these riches. They had a lot of wealth, they had gold. And here's what he says. You don't want those riches. You want the riches of heaven. You know, I don't care what you did. I don't care what you have. They had become so prideful because of their wealth that they only used it to prosper themselves But where does it lie now? In ruins. Yeah, they rebuilt themselves once, but they would still end up in ruins. You can go visit the ruins still. It's destroyed. It didn't last. So what is Jesus saying? He says, your gold is going to go away. And that came true. Buy gold from me. What is that? It's the riches of heaven. It's the love and the joy and the peace that he brings with his salvation. That's what you need to buy. Second thing he says is the white garments. Remember we said that Laodicea was known for their black wool. And he says, buy white garments for me. What is that? That's the clothing that covers our shame with Jesus' righteousness. So, yeah, you might be warm with their wool, but he says, I will cover up all their shame, that you can live a life of purity through me and through his blood. And then lastly, eye salve. Again, it was another product that they were known for. You had this healing eye salve that you put on your eyes when you had a problem. What is Jesus saying here? He says, you might be able to see temporarily and in this world. He said, but if you buy my eyes off, you'll be able to see heavenly things. You'll be able to see the things that I want you to see. You'll be seeing through God's eyes. What an amazing thing. And here's the beauty of it. You're going, well, how do I buy from Jesus? What currency do I need? When we say buy, it really means I'm going to give it to you. You don't need anything. It costs us nothing because he he paid the price for you. You're actually taking what he bought for you. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 1 through 2 says, Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Isaiah proclaimed well before this this prophecy in Revelation, that you would be able to get things from God and buy things from God and it would cost you nothing. And not only would it cost you nothing, it would be better than anything you could buy on earth. So we spend all our money on food, and yet we need food right now, but we want the finest food and the finest clothes and nicest house, and this church in Laodicea was really caught up in this. And here's what Jesus is saying, you need to buy my goods, because my goods are eternal. And here's the greatest part, you don't even have to have any money. I paid the price for you. Number two, to heat up your life. Accept God's discipline. And nobody wants to do this. But it's important. Right? When a father disciplines their child, and students, youth, teenagers don't want to hear this, it's for the child. Not because they want to. Because here's what he says. Jesus says in verse 19, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. He's saying, I'm doing it out of love. I'm correcting you out of love. I I wouldn't correct you if I didn't love you. I'd just let you keep going on your way into hell. But because he loves us, he corrects us when he sees the wrongs. Be open to that discipline. Here's what Proverbs says, chapter 3, verse 12. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Just as when we correct our children... We're doing it because we love them. If I didn't care, I would just let you keep going and run them up and end up wherever you end up. But he says, no, I'm correcting you like a father because I love you. An example of having to accept discipline and accept this. When I first found out I had diabetes, I kind of knew for months, Probably around March or April, I started losing weight and having some symptoms, By June, when we got married, I was waking up two, three times a night to use the bathroom. By August, it had gotten really bad. We had taken a trip, I guess July or August, up to Rhode Island, and we had to stop every hour on the way back for me to literally, as the door, as she was driving, and she'd barely make it to stop the car, and I was already with the door open running to the bathroom. I lost about 40 pounds at that point, 45 pounds, and I still didn't do anything about it. I went all through the month of August. I worked at the time as a counselor, knew what was going on probably, had an idea. I didn't want to face it. I knew if I faced it, I had to do something about it. Finally, the only reason I even went to the doctor was a city phil- school in Philadelphia actually canceled an interview on me, and Chas looks at me and goes, you need to go to the doctor now. You got a day, go. So I go to like one of those premier cares, and they basically look at me, take my sugars, and go, you're going to the hospital, to the point where I say, well, can I drive myself? And they go, no, you're going in an ambulance. I had to face it. And at that point, I had no choice. I could continue to ignore it, and I would end up dead. Or I had to face it and accept the fact that some things had to change in my life. The way I ate, the medicine, so that I could continue to live. God is saying the same thing to some of us now. There's something we need to change. And if we wanna heat up our life and have that joy again and and live for God and do the things that God wants us to do, it's time to accept that change. We're sick. You just gotta recognize it. Lastly, open the door to God. I think I could say this part every single message. It is the key component. Open the door to God, verse 20. Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. So how do you open the door to God? Number one, and again, I can say this every time, prayer. I say this to our teens a lot. We are in a connected world. We probably talk to our friends multiple times a day through Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, I can name about 15 other social medias. Some of us even go old-fashioned now in text. Some of you will get that joke later. We talk to them all the time. Why? Because we say, well, it's my best friend. Of course I'm going to talk to them. But then we call Jesus our best friend, and I go, when's the last time you prayed? I don't know. How can you call someone your best friend who you never talked to? Or how many have the time when you get that phone call or that text message and you go click and you just ignore You've got to do the same thing. God is calling you to talk to him every day. Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice to be the bridge that you could talk to God whenever you want. I used to talk to him while I drove home. It was the only way I could avoid road rage. We've got to talk to him. If he's truly our best friend, he should be the person we talk to the most. I could talk to about, about that all the time. Uh, when, we co- when we continue to not talk to him, we're always going to stay lukewarm. He can heat you up. You're not going to like what he says all the time because he's a true friend. He's the friend who will look you in the eye and say, You need to change. But he's also the friend that's going to look you in the eye and say, You did that great. I love you no matter what. Even if you do have some things to change, I still love you through the process. Secondly, in God's Word, okay, get into the Bible. Here's another great thing. You're like, well, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to pray. i never taught to God. And it's kind of like talking to a stranger sometimes. Well, he gave you a whole book of his word. How much has he already talked to you? You should know him. But if you ignore it, of course you don't know him. And it doesn't have to be an hour or two hours a day. We have this thought of people studying every day for hours and two hours. If that's you, that's you. If you have an hour to give, give an hour. God is going to call you to a personal time. But you have to hear his voice and then respond by opening up the book and, and looking at his word and, and getting heated up through his word. When I've been at my lowest time, the only thing that got me back up and heated up and back passionate for the things that God wanted me to do was keeping that prayer time, doing the life journaling, getting God's word in my heart. And it's amazing how you could just be in a random passage that was assigned to you from four months ago if you followed a plan. And all of a sudden, there's something that just speaks to you differently. That's exactly what you need in that moment. God is amazing that way. So here's the challenge. So I give you a challenge. I'm talking about how to heat ourselves up. So i got to end with the promise. Why would you want to heat up in the first place? Well, here's what he says in verse 20. He says, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Praise God. I know that's where I want to be right next to his throne, talking to him. So when I leave here, that's where I want to get. You know, just as those stories amaze us of the people who work hard, and we, even when they're successful, we should be like that as Christians. If you've already asked Jesus into your heart, you're saved. Awesome, you've made it. But there's still a lot of work to do, and he needs workers, and he wants you to do your part. It could be something small, it could be something big. What I know about it is that He loves you through that and that He smiles at everything you do. No one else in this world may notice it, but He will smile if you continue to work. He'll be pleased with you and always pleased with you. And please stand as the worship team starts to begin. He wants us to be on fire for Him, not just lukewarm. Right? So as we worship today, what I want is I'm going to ask you to come forward. Hey, are you lukewarm? Have you just been kind of going through the motions? I know when I started this week, I thought I was going to really be wretched. I thought this was going to be really tough. And again, I told you at the beginning. I said, "You want to speak about what? Out of what book?" I'm struggling right now. And those of you who know what's been going on in our lives, we're getting ready for the baby next month. We've been building a bedroom. I barely see my wife and children because if I'm at home, I'm upstairs, away from them, working. And then I have to go to work and do that job. And I go, I don't know if I'm. I, I, when I first got this message, I said, I think I might be lukewarm that's you, I challenge you to come to the altar while we start singing. God, what does I need to heat up? How can I heat up? What is it? What is that you're calling me to do? Come to the altar while he sings if that's you. Maybe you're not lukewarm, though. I found that. You can, you can start coming. Right? I, as I said, I was really tough. I thought maybe I was lukewarm, but some of you are saying, "Well, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm passionate. I want to be there. He affirmed for me that I was being passionate, but maybe there's just a little bit. Here's what I ask you. If you're, if you're on fire, Come help the people who are coming forward who are lukewarm. Pray with them. Maybe there's a little bit more that you need to do. Okay? Ask God to help you find that.